Hello, I'm Freddie Gray, editor of Spectator USA, and today we're going to be listening to a nascent edition of Washington Shots, which is brought to you by our new Washington editor at Spectator USA, who's called Kurt Mills. Have a listen. Hello, this is Kurt Mills, Washington editor of Spectator USA. I'm here with Ian Mason, who is a GOP consultant, conservative attorney, former Breitbart reporter, and we are here to talk about Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who, six odd months into his tenure on the Supreme Court, appears to be becoming the MAGA justice, Trump's justice. He recently cited this week with the court's left, or liberals, against big tech, specifically Apple. And the question is, uh, is Kavanaugh sort of the tip of the spear of a new wave of conservative justice? Uh, Trump, of course, has ransacked traditional conservative ideology, and one of the big issues that could... uh, define the 2020 campaign season is the rights war on big tech. Now, of course, Kavanaugh, when he was a nominee or a favored nominee last summer, the word on him was that he was an immigration hawk. But on the other hand, he was a sort of Bush, uh, ex-Bush staff secretary. He had sort of real establishment bona fides. But he is so far, his jurisprudence seems to be thoroughly populist. Ian, what say you? Exactly. So when uh, when I was at Breitbart during the uh, nomination process, this would have been for uh, to replace Anthony Kennedy, the second of uh, of Trump's Supreme Court picks. Among the sort of populist right circles that I was in at the moment, uh, Kavanaugh jumped out as a favorite really very quickly. Uh, among it wasn't even a short list. I would say that he was head and shoulders above the others, and that had to do, like he said, from some of the some dicta and, and a few and a few uh, uh, elements of his decisions on immigration and a few other things too. Like he had a uh, a ruling about uh, about the Lanham Act, which has to do with um, labeling false advertisement stuff, where he used language about the term "made in USA" that just it seemed to display a sort of instinct that was. Um, beyond sort of typical legal, legal conservatism, uh, originalism, uh, textualism, these sorts of things, a, uh, a sympathy with the worldview, which was at that time emerging of, of whatever you'll say, a Trumpist populist right. And the opposition to him at the same time seemed to indicate exactly that, that the people on the right in uh, either legal conservative movement uh, or conservative media or other things who were either lining up behind uh, other potential nominees or uh, hitting Kavanaugh on a few of the uh, a few things in his record uh, tended to that divide did seem to seem to run along the sort of populist establishment um, uh, vein. Interesting. So, uh, my own pet theory, no reporting here, is that uh, Kavanaugh essentially was always an, an immigration hawk, and I think that's a big case. Uh, that really showed that was the the Fogadichau case, right? Where basically Kavanaugh took um, special interest in sort of uh, flaying Fogadichau's argument that their servers 
had uh, it was people with special abilities, which is a, which is a sort of a bespoke visa that's been, uh, shall we say, abused. And uh, Kavanaugh went out of his way to make the point that he thought that was sort of a crock, a farce. Um, but on the other hand, I think that Kavanaugh, you know, basically still was the sort of blue blood Georgetown prep Yale uh, Bush guy. And so the president had his sort of, um, from his perspective, rightful apprehensions about picking a sort of establishment bushy. I think his, uh, it's just my theory, his confirmation hearing where he was basically dragged through the mud on tenuous grounds uh, has radicalized him. What we have now on the court is a culture warrior. And what we have now on a court is somebody with his ear to the ground on politics and is willing to try out some of the more avant-garde positions on the right. And I think the big example of that thus far has been big tech because, I mean, three years ago, frankly, this was not on my radar or anyone's radar. Uh, I think Silicon Valley had always sort of uh, enjoyed a, a noblesse oblige with uh, you know, basically the right is pro-market and so the right is pro-tech and, and, and even, even tech veering towards monopoly power. Uh, I think even someone like Peter Thiel argued that monopoly power was, was like, uh, potentially preferable or beneficial uh, five years ago. Not so today. It's, it's a complete turn on the dime. And uh, Kavanaugh is potentially the most senior official in the entire government who has now registered an anti-tech position from the right. Right. And the law itself here, you know, it, it's, it's funny that it does happen with, with antitrust because this is, the, um, this is the one area of the law that um, sort of even people who typically come from a, a more uh, originalist perspective or a, a, this you know, conservative legal community perspective, which is a textualism or originalism, uh, antitrust forces them to sort of flip that on its head. I mean, the great uh, like conservative uh, Borkian uh, Scalia uh, antitrust position requires a bit of, of law and economics analysis that, that kind of goes beyond what they would like in, in other contexts. And I think here we wind up in an area that because of the uh, retail arrangements, this is about this is about Apple's App Store uh, of big tech and not just Apple, but the other uh, the other tech giants. Uh, we're in sort of the Wild West here. We're, we're, we're pushing the frontiers of antitrust law. So I think it is a case that speaks very clearly to to instincts about about things. And for him to allow this isn't a, a ruling on the merits. It's just a uh, decision to allow this case to move forward. Uh, his decision to allow a consumer suit against big tech and to use the word monopoly pretty clearly. You know, and that, that is you know, what, what the case is about to talk about a potential monopolistic retail arrangement. Um, Where the other conservatives didn't even want to hear the case. Right. Including Neil Gorsuch, Trump's original pick. Correct. Although on a, um, on a grounds that basically, as I see it anyhow, is a, a sort of expansion of an existing antitrust doctrine, which would have, um, which would have barred suit in, in, in a case like this. Uh, were you surprised that, uh, considering, uh, how favorable uh, tech platforms have been to uh, the center left that 
uh, none, again, all these, you know, justices officially eschew politics, but uh, of course it's usually more complicated. Were you surprised that none of the courts left, so to speak, uh, joined, that there wasn't more of a mismatch ideologically? Because sometimes you do see that. You do see, like, you know, the hard right on the court is with the hard left and vice versa. But basically, no, all of the court's Democratic appointees uh, joined with Kavanaugh in at least wanting to hear this case. Right. It wasn't surprising to me. Uh, to me, the, the merits of this case were the, you know, the, as they were hearing, it wasn't particularly ideological. I don't know if the decision of any of the justices, including Kavanaugh, really came from an ideological perspective. And the ruling on the antitrust doctrine, I think, lines up the way the majority rule lines up sort of more with the historical position of uh, of the liberal justice on antitrust. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, w- I wasn't so surprised there. I think it's it, it, from their perspective anyway, it's much less about, about big tech. The fact that Kavanaugh went along with it is, is the only reason that in his case specifically, I think it may be more about a sort of um, instinct as to where the law is headed than... Uh, or where, or where the country's headed. I mean, so I, again, I, you come at this as a responsible steward of the law, but I come at this as a uh, as a theater, theoretician of politics, and I think it's very interesting that uh, so you bring up antitrust, and obviously the antitrust is is the overarching theme here. You have people uh, like Tucker Carlson, some would say the leading voice of conservatism in America right now, that are on television talking about the need for an antitrust, and he brings from, you know, he's, I, he's, he's from a conservative or right-wing perspective. Um, you know, do you anticipate more fights like this? Yeah, I, I think um, certainly there's going to be more big tech fights. Are there going to be more antitrust fights? I think that you have a DOJ right now that tried to pursue um, a very novel uh, antitrust case. It would have been the first, you know, big... Um, vertical integration uh, antitrust case brought by the Department of Justice in a long time. Uh, it's not, it's uh, pretty much dead at this point, but right. I think that that shows that um, clearly with the new sort of economic arrangements that big techs, monopolies or oligopolies, however you want to define them, uh, have, have brought into being, there's going to be innovation in this field. And it's not going to be just an antitrust, it's going to be in First Amendment law, it's going to be in a whole bunch of other things and innovation. Um, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, so I, I'm just fascinated about how these fights often get manifest uh, in, in showing the ideological cleavages on the right. And so our good friends at Ben Shapiro's Daily Wire uh, this week appear to be. I, I don't think it's so interesting that they are objecting to Kavanaugh's jurisprudence here. I think it's interesting in the way that they're attempting to portray it, which is Kavanaugh problematic because he throws in with the court's libs, right? And uh, there, and so some people are like, oh, yes, yes, look at this. Kavanaugh was, I, I think the argument is Kavanaugh was always the moderate, bushy, he's wobbly. What a mistake of political capital for Trump. And then on the other hand, you see like, no, actually, uh, you're subscribers to a dinosaur interpretation of conservatism. And uh, it's actually you all that are sort of retrograde and, uh, and stalling. Uh, what, what did you make of the, the, 
the Daily Wire, Wire piece that I'm referring to. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting because obviously it couches the criticism of Kavanaugh in exactly the the opposite of what of what I anyway see see to be the case. It does say it looks to the swampy quote unquote swampy background of of Kavanaugh as proof that uh, actually his position is the uh, is the establishment yes. one. The framing is, uh, is is very important here. Neither side wants to be the. Each side is trying to tr- prove itself as is the most uh, conservative, right. and, and it's a matter of, of, of framing the argument. Exactly, and these lines showed up first in the uh, in the confirmation hearing itself. I mean, these same people were very eager to jump ship um, as soon as the very first rumblings about Kavanaugh started to break. Some even some even before then. It was only when the GOP political establishment and, uh, and wait, 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 you, you, mean, you mean like sort of uh, uh, sort of more traditional establishment oriented uh, like uh, intellectuals? So what do you mean these people? Well, I'll people? say specifically the, the people, uh, Josh Hammers, an, an attorney and an editor at large over at, um, okay. at Daily Wire is one of the ones who wrote this piece. David French um, wrote a piece at the time. Uh, National Review. Uh, yeah. National Review, yeah. And um, Shapiro had at least some some skeptical comments about uh, about. Kavanaugh at the time, and it was only after these other forces sort of dug in on the accusation issue that a it endeared him to the populist base to the point where nobody would dare drop him, and b sort of forced other elements to come along with it. At that point, it really you know it became a fight to the death. Um, and well, I mean, it's all yeah. No, so Kavanaugh is of course you know two things now in the American sphere. He's deeply divisive, and he's also a cult hero of the right. And he has, he has that, that twin legacy from last fall. Right. Um, and the same, the same divisions that appeared in sort of the, during the nomination process seem to have reappeared yes. again in reaction to this piece, into this case specifically. Uh, you have um, again, the same people. Uh, and I think that they're, as much as we're looking and sort of trying to to read the tea leaves um, as to, to what this means, I think that they're doing the same thing because the issue itself is not so ground, groundbreaking. I mean, this this antitrust thing is not going to shape uh, antitrust law forever to come. I mean, it may uh, we'll, we'll see how it all turns out, but uh, I think it's not. Don't a don't, don't bury the excitement for our for our listeners. Yeah. This, this is this is a momentous decision, which is totally worth discussion. I only mean that um, it's it's not surprising that the same people who generally are skeptical of the idea that that um, changes need to be made between the relationship of government and big tech, yes. and specifically that conservatives, should they want to survive as an ideological force, need to become comfortable with something that's going to break the institutional power of the tech oligopoly over debate in this country. Uh, the ones who sort of line up against doing anything were incensed about this opinion, which I find. So final question, yes or no. Do you view the uh, the tech fight as, you, you use the word survive, existential for conservatism in America? Absolutely. Absolutely existential. I, I think if um, if things continue on the same path that we are now, that's going to fundamentally alter the terms of debate uh, for, for years to come. All and right. probably elections as well. Thank you, Mr. Mason. Mm-hmm.